Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. That's why we're here tonight. He loves us passionately, cares about us watchfully. An unseen being, our Heavenly Father, who cares about us so much He sent His Son Jesus to die for us that you and I would have life in its fullness. His life, Zoe life. Thank God for Zoe life. Life as God has it. That's pretty good, wouldn't you say? Well, bless the Lord. Let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free, quicken me, According to the word, change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be again, the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. First John chapter 3, if you would, please. We're going to pick up on our teaching that we talked about this morning about love, the power of love. God's love is the most powerful force in all the universe. It is the greatest of all forces. Well, that just thrilled you beyond belief. It is the greatest of all forces. It is to guide us. It is to direct us. It is to move us. It is to motivate us. It is to be the compelling force behind all of our activity in life. It is to control us. Uh, Paul the Apostle, what did he say about love? Constrained him. See, it was the, the love of God and of Christ that was the motivating force behind all of his actions, all of his words, all of his deeds, all of his attitudes. It was the power of God's love that changed him forever. And we talked about some things about the love of God, but I want you to see something here in chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold what manner of love. You talk about power, the love the Father had bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You talk about the greatest working of God's power of love. When He brought us out of darkness into the light, we became sons and daughters of the Most High God. We could say we are sons of love. Love has given birth to us. I guarantee you, if they had a way, any kind of a way to check out our spiritual DNA, they'd find out that we are sons and daughters of the living God. I'm telling you. God's love gave birth to us. And what does that mean? He loved humanity so much. He cares about every human being on the planet so much. It was a horrible event that occurred there in the garden when man fell from the presence of God and he was separated from God. God was so hurt. God felt incomplete. See, God wanted to have a family. He wanted sons and daughters he wanted to be 
a father to a family and he wanted the family to have his own life and nature and that's what Adam was supposed to graduate to. But because of his failure and rebellion and sin, he fell from the presence of God and he partook of the nature of God's enemy, Satan. And Jesus said it clearly, you are of your father, the devil. You have his character, his nature, his life. Separation from God, that's what spiritual death is, separation from God. And that's what happened when Lucifer fell. He was separated from God and destruction and death lauds itself in his being. He's the father of all liars. Well, that's how we all were, but God loved us. What was the motivating force behind redemption? It was the love of God. God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. See, this was a desire of His. He wanted to have a family. He wanted sons and He wanted daughters. And oh, He would never be satisfied without us, without you. You see, the world has a picture of God as being some ogre up there and and angry with the world. God's not angry with the world. Man, God loves the world. Jesus Himself said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but the world through me could have life. Think about it. God's not against you. And now that you're a son and daughter of the Most High God, you see, the enemy wants us to be distracted in our thinking. He wants you to think out there, you're trying to be this wonderful child of God. Look, you are a child of God. You're born that way. As a matter of fact, think about it when it comes to the family. Man, your little ones, parents, your little ones, when they're just little infants, the little babes just beginning to grow, you love on them. Man, the joy that's in your heart and in your life, you love them so much. Man, you'll do for them. Think about it, you actually live for them. Uh, parents that have little ones out there, how many of you know that basically your lives are kind of put on hold for a while? <laughs> Sister Kim, you a taxi cab driver? And you know what, what I'm talking about? And you do it willingly? Why? Because you love your kids. And how do you see your kids? Beautiful? Wonderful? Wouldn't want to live without them? Right? That's how the Father sees you. He wants to paint a picture in our hearts, upon the canvas of our hearts, as to how we are right now. You realize you had nothing to do with your regeneration, nothing to do with your new creation, nothing to do with your rebirth of your spirit except say yes to Christ. And when He came in, He cleaned you up. I said when He came in, He gave you a new heart. He gave you a new life. He gave you a new nature. He, you are become His workmanship. Recreated in Christ Jesus by the hand of God. Now, the first Adam was born from the dust. He was formed from the dust of the earth, rather. And God breathed into him the breath of life. And he was of a certain quality of life. But guess what? The new creation, the second Adam came in the new creation. You know, God didn't breathe the breath of life into us. We've been born out of death. Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. And we have followed. We are born out of death. And that wasn't going to take just, a, you know, God breathing something. God had to do a work of redemption. Jesus had to suffer our suffering for us. 
He had to pay the penalty of our separation from God. And He did willingly. And as a result, you and I have become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Born of God, we have the impartation of a degree of life that is the same as God has it. Zoe means life as God has it. And so God has given birth to us. We have been born of God Himself. This is not a creation that He breathed a lower degree of life into. This is a a new creation that He gave birth to. And there's a tremendous difference between the two. We're sons and daughters now. Now are we the sons of God. What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? Therefore the world doesn't know us because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now we are the sons of God. We're not trying to be. We are. And along with sonship comes heirship. Along with sonship comes rights. Along with sonship comes privileges. Every single one of us has inheritance, has a privilege. We have certain rights. We have a covenant We belong to the family. We've got family privileges. We belong to the king. We've got royal blood flowing through our veins. All that God has belongs to us. It's the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. I like that, don't you? It's His good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Wow. You already got it. And I love this, don't you? What good is it if He gives us the kingdom without the keys? Right? Well, He gave us the keys to the kingdom. He gave us the keys to the kingdom. Amen. And you know what? He has all kinds of rooms in the kingdom. Behind door number one is healing. Behind door number two is prosperity. Behind door number three is your mate. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Behind door number four is your gifting. And you've got the keys. You've got the keys to the kingdom. Amen. See, we've struggled on this end because we're trying to be... So, oh, if I could just try... You can't try to be anything. You are what God made you. I, t- I curse those bumper stickers that say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Man, take the bumper off the car with the sticker. Throw the whole thing away. Get a new bumper, get a new car. If you want, what, get rid of that thing because you were a sinner, but you've been saved by grace. And now we, if, if Scripture means anything, we are the sons of God. You should have a bumper sticker that says, now I am the son of God. Now I am the daughter of the Most High God. Now I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I'm a king. I'm a priest. See, people think you're fanatical when you say that. And I'm just quoting you the Word of God. I haven't even yet begun to expound on it. I'm just giving you the Scripture verse by verse, word by word. Now are we the sons of God. And now we are forgiven. And now we've been made new creations in Christ Jesus. And we have a blessed hope. We have a blessed hope. Look, let's read on. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know, I like, a knowing belief. What do we know? We know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. Who are we going to be like? Our brother. 
Jesus? Well, for we shall see Him as He is. Wow. And every man that hath this hope in Him, what does He do? Purifies Himself even as He is pure. See, hope is a motivating force that motivates us or moves us to purify ourselves. And then faith is a powerful force as well. Now about it, faith, hope, and charity. Faith is a powerful force that brought the universe into being. We talked about that this morning. But the third thing is love, charity. It's the most powerful force in all the universe. The love of God toward us and the love of God in our hearts. Now, we said certain things about love. We said that love is not a subject. We said that love is a person. God is love. And by what degree we walk in love, by what degree we know love, is by what degree we know God. God dwelleth in us when we dwell in love. We dwell in love, we dwell in God, and God dwells in us. So by what measure we dwell in the love of God, God dwells in us. So God wants His love that He has shed abroad in our hearts to overtake our lives, to really be the motivating force in our lives, to be the controlling factor of our lives. God wants His love to be practiced by all of His children. And we also said that the love of God, we could say, does different things. The power of God's love, number one, is that which identifies us as His disciples. By this shall all men know that you're my disciple if you do good works. If you go to church. If you've been baptized in water. If you pay your tithes. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one toward another. Isn't that what it said? If we want to advertise the gospel, if we want to advertise our discipleship, guess what? We have got to commit ourselves to loving one another. Because love is what advertises it. It is the essence of and the fulfillment of the law. You realize what the law stood for? But you look at Romans chapter 13, you can read it for yourself, verses 8 through 10, where it says, Oh, no man, anything except to love one another... For the love is the fulfilling of the law. For it's simply said in this when it says, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. All the law summed up in one statement, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So love is the essence of and the fulfillment of the law. So you talk about the power of love, the power of love, when the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts is acted upon by the child of God, He is walking in the essence of and fulfillment of the whole law of God. And guess what? If you walk in the fulfillment of the law, you have all the blessings of the law. You open up the door to the fullness of the blessings of the Most High God. Now, there are those that say, well, it's not for us today. Well, if you've walked in the fulfillment of the law, then everything that God promised them back then is for you today. Then we go on to say that, and there's many different things, that it's the love of God, and you're there, I want you to see this in verse 16 of chapter 3. The love of God manifested in our lives enables us to lay down our lives for one another. Beloved, I want us to be awakened to love, inspired by love, challenged to love, encouraged to love. Oh, this is burning in my bones. Could you tell? It's just an absolute fire within me. Why? Because 
Oh, so many have walked away from the love of God. They think they're serving God, you know, with a full heart, and, and yet they're, they're violating law, blatant, the law of love blatantly. Man, when it comes to family relationships and loving your wife and loving your husband, loving your kids and loving your fellow man. And what about the mandate to love your enemy? You ever read that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 48, where it says, do good to those that hate you. Love your enemies by doing good to those that hate you. Pray for those spitefully use you and abuse you. And speak well or bless those that curse you. Speak well of those that speak evil of you. That you may be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. What a challenge. What a challenge. See what it said there? If God says we're supposed to love our enemy that way by doing good, praying for, and blessing or speaking well of your enemy, how should you treat your wife? How should you treat your husband? Think about that. I'm supposed to take an enemy of mine that has no use for me and speak well of him, do good to him, pray for him. What's that say about you, my brother and my sister? You know how quick Christians are to criticize each other and judge each other and say bad things about each other and, and all that? I'm going to tell you something. That is a distraction of the devil. It's himself. That's an attempt to get you out of the realm where God lives. To get you out of the realm of love. That's exactly a distraction to get people to, to really short-circuit the power of God and its flow in their lives. Look at verse 16. You talk about the power of love, divine love, agape love. It's so powerful, it'll cause you or enable you or empower you to lay down your life for the brethren. Look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. Now, isn't it amazing? I don't know what you do with Scripture. I do this with Scripture. Scriptures, I, I try to keep some things in my mind like about, you know, I try to memorize the verses and, and, and chapters and all that. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? That's John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 talks about you laying down your life. Wow. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. We ought. Everybody say ought. That word means owe it to Him are indebted to Him. We ought or we owe it to Him or we are indebted to Him to lay down our lives for those that treat us with dignity and respect. <laughs> to those that make us pies and cook big meals for us and bring us dessert on the weekend. To those that just you know, brown nose us and play up to us and, and all those that just say we look so good. No, we owe it to Him to lay down our lives for the brethren. And that would include the sisterin as well. 
Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as unto the Lord. You realize he's talking about a love family, having a love affair, loving one another. I'm talking about from the heart, being indebted to one another. I owe it to you to lay down my life for your good, to promote your health, to promote your happiness, to promote your success. And you owe it to me to lay down your life for my good, to promote good in my life. Paul carried this to a degree I don't even know I can think of. He said, for me, I would rather be a curse from Christ to save my brethren. Wow! You realize that's the very language of Jesus? Because He was a curse. He was the curse for us that we might be saved. But Paul said, if I had the opportunity to do it, I would do it myself that my brothers, my, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, that they would be saved. Wow! What was he saying? I'm willing to do what Jesus did. I love them so much, I would be willing to do what Jesus did. And these are the ones. Are you ready for this? They, yeah. Did they treat Him with kindness and dignity and respect? Man, they beat the bottom of his feet with rods. They whipped him. They had him whipped how many times? Left him for dead, stoned him. And at one point we believe he was actually dead and was raised from the dead by the power of God when they stoned him over there at, at Galatia. Think about that. He said, man, I laid down my life for them. If I know they could come to Jesus, I'd be a curse myself. That's love to the whatever degree. That's love as God loves us. Beloved, if we've been called upon to love our enemies with this kind of action, everybody say, how much more? See, how much more are we called upon by God to genuinely, and I can't express that word enough, genuinely really love everyone in the body of Christ? Wow. And God's love is what empowers us to do that. And that love has been shed abroad in our hearts. You know what that means? We have the capacity to do it. But what are we doing with that capacity? Are we ignoring it? Are we cultivating it? Are we developing it? And I said this morning, and I challenge all of us, start in a home. Man, look at your wife in the eyeball and just say, you know what? I am going to be a different person. I'm going to do my best to reflect the love of God in our relationship. And I know I've got a lot of you know, clean up to do. I've got a lot of changes to make in my life, but you know what? I am committed to doing it for you. And then, of course, she'll tell you back the same thing if she's half spiritual. <laughs> she'll do the same thing and tell you, I'm committed to you, honey. Praise the Lord. Hmm. Another verse is found in, you can just write these down if you want. You don't have to look them up. You can look them up later. Proverbs 10, 12 says that love the power of love we're talking about covers the multitudes of sin. Can we roll up our sleeves now? The flesh exposes sin. Did you hear what that? The bishop and the I said the flesh is quick to expose the sin of another. But love covers the multitudes of sin. See, that's how we determine whether or not we're motivated by love. If we're just so quick to broadcast the faults and failures of so many people that are out there, and you know what? The power of love is not what's really the controlling motive of our lives and of our hearts. 
But if you'd say, I would rather not expose that. I would rather cover that thing up and make that person look good. Do you see that? That should be our motive. And then love also makes... Look, I want you to see this first. This is beautiful. We should look at the Scriptures this way. Beautiful, wonderful verse of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4. What a beautiful text. What a glorious truth. Um, I've had people try to smack me around with the Word of God. I remember one... I even remember some of these spiritual things. These spiritualites. I was at school at Ramah one time and I was walking out of the store and met somebody that I had known there and, and we were parting, parting our ways. I said to the person, take care. Oh, you might have think I just committed the unpardonable sin because I said, take care. And so I just proceeded to try to walk out the store and he was walking out the other way, out the door. And so he had to run back and catch me in the parking lot and just say, brother... I just could not hold it in any longer. You said, take care to me. I said, I know. He said, you know what brother so-and-so says about taking care and what the De- Webster's definition of the word care is? You just told me to take upon myself the cares of the world, heap upon my shoulders all the worries, all the frustrations, all the anxieties, and blah, 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 blah. So I just want to inform you I'm not going to take care. That was an education of what not to do. See, he had the truth. Let me show you this verse before I go any further. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know, love makes truth attractive. Do you hear me? Love makes truth attractive and it promotes spiritual growth and development. Love makes truth attractive. It makes it look good and tasty. That turned me off. I wanted to walk up to Him. I was tempted in my flesh. I wanted to say, well, brother, what I meant was Just look out for your own well-being. But I wanted to say, brother, what I really meant was look out for your own well-being because, you know, if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. That's what I really meant. But since you are so obnoxious, what I really mean is take the worries and the frustrations and the cares of the day with you in the car home to your wife and I hope she beats you with them. And I thought, speak the truth in love. Sometimes I'll just joke around and say, you know, if Krista goes out or someone goes out and my kids will go away, I say, when you go, go careless and reckless. No cares, no wrecks. (laughs) Right? Be careless and reckless without cares and without wrecks. It's a matter of how you mean it. Can you mean? Can you imagine greeting somebody on the street? Hey, brother, how are you? Oh, nice to see you. Take care. Be frustrated throughout the rest of the day. God bless you. Bye. <laughs> Speak the truth in what? Love. And what do you promote? You make truth attractive, number one, and you promote spiritual growth and 
development. Can you see that? See, but some people get turned off to the word because of the way it's delivered. Okay? And then we saw also that that love, perfect love, eradicates fear. You know, fear has its roots in what? Selfishness. If you think about it. We're concerned about self. And that's why we're so afraid of my well-being, of what's going to happen, etc., etc. But when you know the love of God, love eradicates all fear. Matter of fact, if you don't mind doing your, let your fingers do some walking tonight, go back to 1 John 4 now. Because we didn't get to the latter part of the chapter. Beautiful text. Wonderful. I'll tell you what, I can just feed on this word till Jesus comes. Hmm. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, mature love, casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You know, you can tell that to somebody. If they say to you, I'm afraid. Well, you're not made perfect in love, brother. Got chapter and verse for it. You can say it like that. How many of you know that it's not necessarily what you say, but how you say it? Amen. You know, sometimes I like to just make, have people just feel comfortable letting them know that I think that they know what they should know. Do you know what I mean by that? And I would just say something to that effect, like to this effect, like, now I know you know that John the Beloved, the wonderful apostle of love. You remember him? Oh, I know you know him. The one that laid on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper. The one that he loved so much and loved Jesus so much. In one of his writings, in one of his epistles, he wrote that perfect love cast out all fear. So you don't need to be afraid because you see, God loves you. So much. And you know that. You know how much He loves you. And He went on to say, He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, I know you're just about there. You're just about there. But this one little itty-bitty area, let's get another shot of love in. Because it'll just pop that fear right out. Not a whole lot better than telling somebody, Why, you old sinner, you... You don't believe the Word of God. What does perfect love do? Cast out all fear. Now look at verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother or his sister or his wife or his employer or his mother-in-law, He is a what? Liar. A what? Liar. What is he? Liar. If a man say, I love God, oh, I love you, Jesus. I just love you. I'm so in love with you. I sing about it all day long, all night long. It's just that when I get around people. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? But their personality rubs me the wrong way. So does yours his. (laughs) 
You know, we can have personalities that just rub us the wrong way, but guess what? You're still supposed to love your enemy. And I would believe your brother is at least a step above your enemy. Right? You know, we need to be educated in love. I'm, I'm telling you, the body of Christ needs to be re-educated in love, divine love. People don't know why. Why are there so many problems? Because you're not loving. Need to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. First four commandments. And love one another. Next six commandments. The commandments are, that's all the commandments. The law and the commandments are based on love God and love people. This ministry would be wonderful if you could just love people. I'll never forget the first time I came into, I shouldn't say this, <laughs> in ministry. <laughs> Well, when I first came here as the pastor of the church, I had to go to a national convention <laughs> and a few district meetings. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I am just wet behind the ears. I'm just, just green. I'm just young in the faith, young in the Lord. And I came out of a school and someone says, what did you learn at Rhema? Love. John 16, 27 says, the Father himself loveth you because you love me and believe I came out from God. And that was the, really the biggest teaching that I had in my heart and mind when I left that school was the love of God, that God loved me passionately and that I could love others the same way regardless of their false failures and shortcomings because He loves me with my mind, right? And so then I'm thinking, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And I'm just going to these meetings because these guys have been in the ministry for, you know, years, 30, 40, 20 years, 25 years. And I am going to have a wonderful time of education. I'm going to learn. I'm going to watch. I'm going to observe. That's how I learned. I would observe and watch and learn. So what do I get? Go to the meetings? Man, there, I thought I was in a brawl or a hockey game. And in some cases, I thought, my goodness. I, at one of our district meetings, I heard this one pastor say, people, your church, said they're young pastors. You want to know what church people are like? They've got big knives. They like to stick it in your back and then twist it. And I said, why am I here? Lord? This guy, you could tell, he had a problem with people. His people. He was the pastor of his church. And he was going off on talking about everything. And I thought, my heavens, we've been called to love one another as Christ has loved us as God has loved us in Christ. And look, up, look at distraction. Talk about distraction. And we wonder why faith isn't working. I read somewhere in Galatians chapter 5, somewhere near verse 6, maybe even verse 6, where it says faith works by... Faith works by... Faith works by what? Love. If love is not the energizing force of our faith, our faith is not going to what? Work. So you see right here, we're supposed to love even our enemies to love our brothers and sisters. And what did Paul say? If you, let's, let's graduate here to something. I don't even know where I'm going, but that's, let's finish reading this first. Then we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe. I'll make it short. We'll close it soon. And this commandment, verse 21, have we from him, this what? This suggestion we have from the Father, right? Mm, it's a commandment, isn't it? That he who loveth God... What is it? It's a what? 
It's a, everybody say commandment. I know it's hard getting it out. Commandment. Everybody say mandate. I'm under a divine mandate. This commandment we have of the Lord, that whoso, if you love God, that you love your brother also. Do you see that? Now, the devil will show you 50 ways not to love your brother. Don't listen to any one of them. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to show us how we can do it because love empowers us to do it, but it's also a decision of the will. And look at verse... I like these verses. Verse, start with verse 9. Whether we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember this morning we talked about that we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ? And what is it that gives us confidence to appear before the judgment seat of Christ? What did he say about love? Love gives us confidence. When we walk in love, we have boldness at the day of judgment. And so, because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences, for we commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory in our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause, for the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us. It is because of the love of Christ I'm acting the way I'm acting. I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm saying what I'm saying. You think I'm mad. You think people are walking all over me. You think I'm not dealing with things correctly. But I'm telling you, the love of God is the controlling motive of my life and of my heart because we thus judge. What does he judge? That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. There it is. The secret to walking in love. We know no man after the flesh. Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. How do we love the brethren? By realizing we don't see them after the flesh, but who they are in Christ. Paul said, I'm not judging you according to your flesh. I'm judging you according to who you are in spirit. You're a new creation. You're my brother. You're my sister. You have the life and nature of God in you. I am not going to be concerned about your faults and failures and shortcomings because, hey, we all have them. I'd rather see who you are in spirit rather than who you are in the flesh. You know what? We look a whole lot better in the spirit than we do in the flesh. Absolutely. But you see, we are so flesh-minded. We are so mindful of who we are externally, outwardly. And I know we all need to be working on our character and all that. But Paul said, I know you after the spirit, not after the flesh. And that's why he can walk. You see, love, the love of Christ is what constrained him. So, 
this love eradicates fear. It's, got, it's a powerful force that enables us to lay down our lives for, our, for the brethren. It's a powerful force that opens up the door to Revelation in John 14, 21. Jesus said that if we operate in His love, He'll come and visit us with the Father and reveal Himself to us. But and also, and there's a whole lot to talk about this subject, and we'll pick it up again, but let me just say these four things about, about God's love. God's love is unconditional. It is not based on anything that the other person does. Divine love, which is aggressive and unconditional, is love by choice, by decision of the will. Not based on feelings and emotions. God loved us when we were sinners in rebellion. And you know what? You and I are supposed to love others even though they may be sinners and in rebellion. We've been called upon to love humanity and see people through eyes of compassion. And I realize that there are a lot of people out there in the world that we may not give two cents about because of the things they do. But how many of you know those people get saved and become good people in the body of Christ? And we've got to look beyond their faults and and their attitudes and all that and just see them through the eyes of love the way God saw us. His love is unconditional. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on anything in the flesh. It's based on a decision of the will and the principles of God's Word. God's love is everlasting. It's everlasting. In Psalm 103, it talks about how His love is forever. And other places in the Bible, you can read it in Psalm 136. His love endures how long? Forever. It is everlasting. As a matter of fact, in the New Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Bible, I believe it says, His love is from all eternity and forever. The beginning, in the very, if, if there was a beginning... We know God is the beginning of all things, but He is love. God is love. Love is what brought forth everything we know of into existence. Love is the force behind everything. As a matter of fact, I like to say it this way sometimes. Love is the reason for every created thing of God. And you go back to the beginning and you find out this universe was designed to love the earth. Everything in the solar system loves this planet, the earth, and out there exists everything necessary for this planet to be the place that it is to, to have life on it for man. And then the earth is designed by God to love human beings upon the planet. Every resource that is necessary for our survival is found within the earth. God made us from the dust of the earth. In our flesh, we identify with the dust of the earth. Water and dust is really what we are in the flesh. And everything that we need, every resource is already placed within the earth. And guess what? I've got news for everybody. It's not going to run out until God says it's going to run out. People are concerned about the end of the age. Well, it's going to end when God says it's going to end. And there's always going to be resources on the planet. Then the earth was designed then to love the man. We human beings are being loved by the earth every day. And when you go for a walk in the springtime and you see all those beautiful blossoms and flowers and you smell the fragrance of them all, aren't you ministered to by them? And you see that ripened fruit tree on the, the, with the fruit on it and you pluck the fruit and you take a bite and it's juicy. Isn't it loving you and ministering to you? When you see the sunrise or the sunset and its beauty, aren't you pleased by what you see? When you see the awesome um, construction of the world 
and you see all the wonderful places that God has designed and God has made, a Grand Canyon, and you marvel at the sight of it all. Isn't it breathtaking and overwhelming? Or you stand at the foot of a Niagara Falls and you see the massive amounts of water seemingly with all of its glory and power. As many times as you see it, you can, it's still it's breathtaking. It does something to you. It's compelling. There's something about it that attracts people there. It's for your pleasure. It's loving you. And then God made man to finish the circle of love, to love Him. To love Him. See, the heart is the life of the man, but love is the life of the heart. And we are to love Him. And Adam, we could think of some things to call you. Traitor. Rebeller. You rebel, you. He didn't close the gap. He didn't love God enough. Do you see that? Set his love on God. You ready for this? If you set your love upon me, I want you to, well, I'll close it right there. Can I look at that? Psalm 91. I could quote it to you, but I thought we'd go some other direction, but this will, this will be good enough. Listen, Psalm 91, we'll close it right here. Oh, if Adam would have set his love upon me, if Adam would have set his love upon me, I can see him in this verse as he's inspired by the Spirit. If Adam would have set his love upon me, I would have delivered him from the devil and the fall. Look at verse 14 of Psalm 91. Guess what? The first Adam didn't set his love on the Father, but the second Adam did. And because we set our love upon Him, He will deliver us. He will set us on high because we know His name. We call upon Him, He answers us. He is with us in trouble. He delivers us and honors us. With long life, He satisfies us and shows us His salvation. All because of what? We set our love upon Him. Father, I am loving you. Listen, the twofold mandate. With all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what did God command of us? If you say you love me, then you love she. And you love he. Right? So you can't exclude that. See, we think we're setting our love on God completely because we love him and worship Him, and come to church, and lift our voice, walk out the door, and we start. No, no. The commandment is to love God and one another. That's setting your love on Him because we're all of equal value. Let's stand together before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.